For August 15th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 737. You want it to be one prey, but it's the other prey. And welcome to the Overthinking It podcast. That's right. This isn't Matt Rather. This is Pete Fenzel hosting today. We have smarter fun together, guys, but sometimes that smarter fun is a little bit scary. And uh, sometimes, you know, Matt's just going to be on the other side of the ridge hunting for a little bit. We'll we'll catch up with him later. But uh, but I do have a proud and brave group of uh, hunter survivors with me today for a movie that was a little too intense for our regular host. We don't blame him. He's a sensitive man with a deep heart and a he's, pure he's soul. More a he's more of a healer. He's really more of a healer than a warrior when you get right to it. Not, no worries. That's important. Hunters and healers. No warriors uh, in this movie. We are, of course, talking about Prey, the latest Predator movie. And if you made a long bet when COVID started that by the time this thing was over, we would have a Predator movie worth talking about, you can collect <laughs> your 50 to 1 odds now. <laughs> because <laughs> there's been a lot of Predator, and I don't think we've talked about any of them. <laughs> also, if you made a bet that there were many eat, love, prey um movie trilogy um and that prey would be the third one it would also be a predator movie um no no you would not have won that back <laughs> eat pray love eat love pray <laughs> oh yes so we saw prey well let me rephrase mc hammer says you've got to pray just to make it today but we made it optional we went old school today where we have, of course with me on the panel today is of course mark lee hey mark how are you doing hey hey i'm doing great glad to be here did you uh pray just to make it today uh, I prayed. I I, I I prayed to Crom. No, 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 no. Arnold's not in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he he's his his spirit is um, uh, not so far off screen. Excellent. And of course, Jordan Stokes. Hi, Jordan. Did you pray just to make it today? I, I did not. I fully intended to watch it, and then I didn't watch it, and then I decided to come on the podcast anyway. Which OTI podcast stalwarts will know that this used to be a thing that we did most of the time <laughs> like <laughs> one person one person would have the or role of like the, <laughs> three of the time. like the, the wandering bumpkin who's just like what is a movie <laughs> <laughs> well yes yeah, so we have our wonderful interlocutor mr stokes today he'll be asking us questions about this movie that he didn't see but spoilers for prey which is a I'm going to say it right now. A real, a real delightful movie. Delightful is probably the wrong word. I what would you describe it as, Mark? A movie with a capital M? Uh, it's a, it's a film, man. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's a really uh, well crafted action movie. Let's go with that. Excellent, excellent. It's, it's the best thing on Hulu right now, other than Letterkenny. So you should really go out and check it out. If you have, if you have Hulu, you have no excuse. And if you don't have Hulu, heck, I got Hulu for this thing. We'll see how long I keep it. But uh, but it's it's a it, as far as Predator movies go, it's in the top two. I think you could probably safely say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe top three, maybe top three. If there's one out there I've not seen that's really good, or if you really love Danny Glover, I think Danny Glover would say this was better than Predator Two. I suspect. Although Jordan, you have seen Predator Two, right? I have seen Predator Two. I really like Predator Two, but I I don't find it challenging to suspect that there might be a movie out there that's better than predator 2 <laughs> awesome that's so true, this is the one for those who haven't seen it predator 2 is the one where uh, the predator somehow makes it into uh, los angeles yes. right that yes. uh, urban jungle if you will yes. as opposed to predator 1 which is just the straight-up jungle which is like not quite vietnam but really vietnam right 
Right, 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 right. Exactly. It's uh, it's or Granada, right, <laughs> or uh, or or Panama, <laughs> uh, any number Look, of places. American soldiers shooting things up in a jungle, being stalked uh, by a mysterious alien force. It's Vietnam, right? Well, no, because they're special forces. They're heavily armed. They're all volunteers. I, I'm talking about. I'm talking about metaphorical Vietnam, Pete. Just to be clear. What? The metaphorical Vietnam. <laughs> no, I thought it was more of a metaphorical Granada. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. It's like, okay. This is sort of an '80s movie about sort of beefy special forces adventurism, where nobody's being dragged there. There's no member of the platoon in Predator, as far as I remember, who's like doing this to pay for college, right? Like, <laughs> they're, they're all like, I really am, I have dedicated my life to Gatling gunning things and people. And this is, you know, this is my prom, right? This is why I'm here. <laughs> Uh, but yes, so Prey is a wonderful twist on the Predator, I guess, what, formula? I suppose sure, you could yeah. say. Although I think the Predator movies have wandered around from the formula. But okay, we will talk at one point more broadly about what this whole Predator thing is. But just to say it straight up, right, the notable thing about this movie is that it takes place in either 1700s, right? About 300 yeah, years ago? Early 1700s, well, yeah. 350 some odd you know, years ago. Uh, uh, or I guess 310, whatever, early 1700s. And the protagonist is a Comanche. It's a, as a Comanche woman. And uh, geographically, this should locate us somewhere in the area of what is now like Northern Texas, though it could be anywhere from, you know, Montana down to the Mexican border, like hypothetically, right? Uh, of course, the thing's shot in Canada, so it looks like it's in Canada. But, but the point is that we are in the vast interior of what is not yet the United States, uh, and really not even part of the Louisiana territory, right? We are we are north of most of New of, of settled New Spain. We are we are uh, west of uh, of the of the most of the French settlements, which will become. Uh, notable as we talk about it, and we follow uh, really a, a, a tribe family, a sort of family group of Comanche, and an extended uh, kind of uh, uh, you could call it a tribe, I guess, but uh, the uh, the salient organizational unit of Comanche hunter gathering societies of this time period uh, was a specific name that I don't know off the top of my head, and it's not particularly large. It's not a particularly large group of people that are uh, semi nomadic hunter gatherers. Uh, in the 1700s, who are uh, accosted, <laughs> accosted is perhaps the, the softest word I could use, by a traveling sport hunter, right, known as uh, the Predator. Uh, yeah. He's always the Predator, or she's, it's always a he, I guess it could be a she, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm sure there's one where it's like, oh, he it's does, Yeah, the, the Predator does not provide their pronouns. Uh, right. Um, can I jump in here for just a second here? Oh, yeah, 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 by all means. Because, like, this is the point where, like, if, if you casually are, are posting this movie, you're like, wait a minute. I know about the Predator, and it's, like, this, like, sci-fi thing, and yeah. interstellar traveling alien with infrared vision and super high-tech weapons. And you're telling me that a 1700s Comanche woman with, like, an axe and a bow and arrow is somehow going to be able to kill the Predator alien? That sounds ridiculous. And I think that was a reaction of like a, a large portion of um, uh, of the movie going audience. Maybe like at some point, right? Like your your reaction is like has has that aspect of it. And then you watch a movie and you're like, okay, this is like far from ridiculous, and and uh, is it, not like some kind of sloppy schlock camp no. exercise. Something else very um, different than that is going on here. 
Right, right, exactly. It's a it's a credible movie. I mean, there are obviously things about it that aren't credible. I mean, I think you could talk about what sort of force would be necessary in order for the predator to cold cock a grizzly bear in the face. <laughs> I think that that's that's probably the part of the movie that's least realistic. I think he would have to be <laughs> he'd have to have like a stick of dynamite on his hand in order to knock a knock a grizzly bear unconscious with a punch. Their anatomy just doesn't work that way. Uh, but but um, uh, but yes, no, there, there are definitely things that are unrealistic because there's a interstellar uh, alien who, who can turn invisible and is infrared vision and shoots people uh, with, you know, homing CDs or whatever. No, no, no. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a survival. I guess we, we have to get into what the movie is about. I think really to explain why this makes sense, but I think we should just say up front, prey makes sense. It makes as much sense as any other sci-fi action movie where, you know, somebody is super strong and super fast and, and can do all these impossible things and then still loses. Um, and particularly the predator's strength and speed are vague, but that's okay. He's the predator. It's not, this isn't like, you know, this isn't UFC where everything, what's the tail of the tape, right? Uh, I feel like there was the fix was in the, I had my money on the predator in this one and I lost big time. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, always, I always bet on the predator to win. And this time he lost. Uh, I feel sorry. like anyone who, I feel like anyone who tells you that they were coming to the Predator franchise for, like, intellectually rigorous science fiction that works out everything is just a liar, you know? Yes, 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 exactly. It's the less plausible cousin of the Alien franchise. Well, because when Predator is really good, what it is is it's, like, survival horror. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and this is a survival horror movie in which the protagonist is a perfectly – plausible and kind of textured and interesting survival horror protagonist. And uh, yeah, I guess we should just dive right into it a little bit, at least with the basic premise, right? Because like the, the other than it being a native American group and Mark, I know there's one part of this I'm, you really want to talk about and I'll save that for the end. The other thing that I'll just sort of explain about this is the predator comes with this whole bag of details that if you've been watching predator movies or talking about the predator in your spare time, which is something that people do, I've done it in the past. It's a strange hobby. I know. I don't know why, (laughs) but if you, you know that the predator has this sort of group of powers that don't really have a coherence to them. Other than that, he is a, a devastating hunter, right? Is that he, he is hiding and he's stalking you and he's going to kill you and he's going to kill anybody. Uh, that's, that's sort of the predator. Anybody though. Right, just to be really clear, right? There's like a whole, whole oh yeah, not so everybody. Kind of a, he's sort of a rules-based hunting thing, right? Or yeah. he's trying to get the best, the, the the trophy, right? And he will ignore things that are not threats. Exactly. So the it's sort of like there's always a bigger fish is is one of the uh, one of the morals of most predator movies that there's usually a character who thinks that they're tough stuff and they can kill the predator and they're usually hubristic and the predator usually dispatches them in comical or grotesque fashion and uh or just really awesome fashion and it's the idea being like if you're the biggest baddest dude on the planet well the predator is the biggest baddest dude on all the planets and so you can't out big bad dude the predator and there's a message in the predator stories that are good which is you know that survival isn't about being the best at killing uh, right, like uh, that, or I mean, not even the best, but sort of being the most at killing is not the solution to the question of survival, even in a violence environment. And it usually involves, you know, cleverness 
and and a reprioritization of what's happening. But the, but the salient fact about the predator that matters the most in this movie is that he is a big game hunter who hunts for sport and is looking or like ritual or whatever they they make it in lore. <clears throat> And he always wants the biggest, baddest game. Like if he sees the wolf, it's the wolf's going to kill the rabbit. He's going to kill the wolf because he thinks the wolf's more impressive and he's going to take the wolf's skull home as a trophy. And so this movie progresses through bigger and bigger levels of hunter and hunted until it arrives finally at the confrontation with the protagonist uh, who has a different definition of hunting than a lot of the people in the movie do. But Mark, what's the what's the wrinkle in all of this? What's the twist? It came surprisingly late because I'd heard about it before I saw this movie and I thought it was going to be a big deal throughout the movie, but it doesn't show up until two thirds or even maybe three quarters of the way through, uh, or at least become a major factor. Uh, maybe two thirds is probably the better way to put I, it. I think you're referring to um, how you have a story about Native Americans in, in uh, you know, North America uh, and an alien force comes to wreak destruction uh, and disrespects their environment, right? And how it's uh, um, not just uh, the actual, uh, the, the interstellar alien, but also the French. Right, yes, that the French are here. And the French are also, you know, hunting animals for sport or, I mean, for, for their fur, but not to survive and are also threatening the locals. You know, they're also something to be scared of. They also have advanced technology. And so the Comanche find themselves a bit between a rock and a hard place. Uh, although conveniently, most of the Comanche hunters are dead by the time the French people show up. So there doesn't have to be too complicated of a confrontation. Uh, they don't have a Mexican standoff in uh, in West Texas on this one. But uh, but yes, it's that there are col- colonialists, right? There are colonizers uh, here in the story, and the predator ends up fighting the French, which you know his Kills greatest challenge. All of them. He kills all of them. Any, he every kills single Frenchman you see on screen yes. is totally dead yes. by before the, before the yes. final uh, sequence. Yes. At one point, Henri shows up to talk about a football match, and he just gets shanked. No, it's every <laughs> every French person <laughs> in this movie is dead by the time the movie is over, uh, mostly because they point guns at the Predator, right? And so before we go any farther, Mark, did that, that seems to have stirred something in you, uh, seeing that angle on the Predator story. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I, I want to get into that and have a really robust discussion on that. But before we do, I want to like get a few other things out there on the on the sure. table, the things that I really liked about this movie that are like less thematic, more aesthetic, actually. OK, sure. um, which is that to, to put it in very plain terms, like this movie looked really good uh, and it was very efficient. Um, it is just like uh, uh, that's why I use the phrase well-crafted action movie before. Right. Wide vistas. Um, actual shooting outdoors with lighting that looks realistic and not that like uh, partly cloudy, very CGI friendly, low shadow environment that we have kind of grown accustomed to and nerd to um, <clears throat> in Marvel movies, which is really not interesting to look at. Um, and to see these Western vistas um, uh, in their full glory. Um, I will admit, by the way, that I had to watch this movie on my phone because I had to watch it while I was putting my kid to sleep. <laughs> um, so I didn't quite get the full effect. And also, uh, side note, this movie really should have gotten a the- theatrical release. Um, I guess as a victim of the, of the great streaming wars of the 20 aughts, of the 2020s, um, uh, this one did not get uh, its theatrical debut. Um, but it looked amazing. 
Um, it, it, it sounded amazing. Um, the storytelling was very efficient, compact. There was like no fat on these bones at all. Um, just no unnecessary exposition, again, which uh, modern um, action movies have, have really fallen prey to. Yeah, see, that's what I did there. Um, and so I just really appreciated that. And also that I could watch it without uh, and finish the whole thing without um, uh, without falling asleep <laughs> because it was so long and, and just kind of and, and, and really overstaying. It's welcome. Um, so uh, I, I say all, the, all that. So like if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this movie, like I really encourage even though you've gotten the rough outline and of course, spoiler alert, it's a predator movie um, so that the protagonist uh, succeeds against seemingly insurmountable odds and, and, and manages to defeat the predator in, in some um, in some clever way. Um uh, if you haven't seen this movie, um, you, you kind of know what it is, but like the, there is really great pleasure in seeing it all play out. Um, so uh, before we talk about kind of the big thematic uh, um, of bison in the room, um, Pete, like, would you anything, add anything else there and kind of like those like aesthetic and thematic uh, aesthetic pleasures of the movie? I mean, it's worth commenting on, although everybody who's talked about the movie has said it, that the movie had extensive consultation on the dress and uh culture of the comanche people uh it is it is a it has a native american actors uh not comanches because there's not a lot of comanches but uh you know there's there's a lot of you know there's native american actors playing most of the native american parts as far as i can tell and uh yeah i mean they're not western vistas shot in canada but uh you know it's um it really makes an effort to honor its setting which is not what you necessarily always expect from a movie with an invisible hunter killer right, alien right, in it, right. where it's like, but yeah, it's way man. above its weight. It's like, <laughs> it's cultural department. Hang on actually, because like that is exactly what I expect from a good <laughs> predator movie though. Okay, sure. Sure. Like, go on, go on. Be- just because like the, there are, I mean, there are quite a few memorable characters in Predator 1. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jesse the Body Ventura, the Predator, and the Jungle is definitely a character, right? And then, like, one of the best things about Predator 2 is the way that it, like, says, here is the city of L.A., the urban jungle. And it, you know, it doesn't feel like a real city, but does it feel like a 1980s movie city? Like, uh-huh. So, to hear you say that, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that if someone told me, hey, they're going to make another Predator, it's going to be set out in the American American West. I, I wouldn't necessarily assume that it was going to really do justice to the setting because there have been a lot of Predator movies and they're not all good. But if you told me, oh, hey, the new Predator movie is good, one of the first things I'm going to assume is that the setting is great. No, that's really well put. I uh, Definitely it, for me, Alien versus Predator looms too large in my memory as a thing that happened. And I really should remember... <laughs> Most people didn't even see that movie, so I really shouldn't use it as a cultural touchstone. So, you, you don't feel like it did justice to the weird underground pyramid? <laughs> yeah, the Arctic or Antarctic pyramid where the aliens and the predators fought like as much as the – they fought until the CGI money ran out, basically, which was like half of a fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the, the other thing we're, we're neglecting to put on the table as well is that, and of course, in the first Predator movie, right, there is a Native American character. True, and um, there yeah. is also like local people. I think because they're in, I think they're in Central America or or Mexico or something. Like, there's local people, yeah, who are who are not part of the and, special forces and are caught between the predator and like the the violent military people. Yeah, and and, and notably, right, connecting it to this movie, right, uh, the Native American character in the first Predator movie, like you know, uh, taps into that old trope, right, of uh, the Native Americans being more in touch with nature, right, and can yeah. somehow sense like they're being hunted by. 
um, well, an alien force, right? Right. Not right, just right. not just another another set of dudes, um, commandos in the jungle with guns. It's something right. else. Right, 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 exactly. So yeah, so I guess that's fair, Jordan. This this has this maybe it's part of what makes it a good Predator movie is that it does honor its setting, and uh, and that's great and that's excellent. I also haven't seen Predators or uh, or the I think that's the one with Adrian Brody in it. So I don't I'm not really an authority on the matter. But yes, it's a it's a movie that gains a lot both from its sense of place and from the setup and development and pacing of the information that they give you. They don't give you too much. They don't even bother explaining what the predator is at any point in the movie. Right. I don't think this There's is another no- thing that, that good predator movies have in common. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is, yeah. You, where you it's like, no, like five minute exposition sequence where, uh, <laughs> where somebody's, you know, like you get to get like, you know, where map out the predator's home world. On the yeah. yeah. Map and uh, all that nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> like the, their, their atmosphere was rendered unbreathable. And so they ventured forth and found new planets where they developed bio cybernetic technology. No, it's just like, <laughs> He shows up and he's invisible and he can see things. It is pretty funny. The first time when you see the Predator's like thermal vision and, and heads up display with the alien scripts, you know, where it's sort of the the uh, reticule comes up and is like, beep, 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 and it's like rabbit. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, that's good. It's pretty that's funny. So good. It's yeah. pretty funny. And, and it targets yeah. the weapons and it targets, you know, the uh, – um, it can tell if you're if you're armed or your intelligence, uh, which is also pretty great. It's it's uh, but yeah, the predator is not um, he, it's just it's such an unintuitive body of things that he can do. But I guess I guess enough people know what the predator is. And enough people come to see this movie, know what the predator is. They're not troubled by that so much. Oh, um, can I can I make a um, a a sort of theory about that? Which is that the first Predator movie is science fiction of a particular kind that takes a conceit and runs with it. And the conceit is, if you think about hunting, like the way that people hunt today, from the point of view of a deer, it is messed up, right? <laughs> and then, like, all of the things that the Predator can do are basically, like, what what we can do to a deer. So it's cloaking technology. Like, we go out in the woods in camouflage, camouflage yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, the the thing where, it, like, uh, you know, we have, not for deer, but for, for various kinds of birds, you have, like, duck calls, right? So, like, imagine that you go out into, you know, it works better in a way in Predator 2. You go out into, like, your normal habitat, and you're, like, you're going to get some groceries, and you hear somebody, like, like, hey, what's up? And you like turn around and then blam, your head is gone. Mm-hmm. Like uh, all of all of the predator things are basically human hunting technology ramped up to the point where that technology would then work on humans. And we get to imagine what it would be like to be the prey animal, right? Um, there's a, a one of my favorite, favorite things in Predator 2 is there's this scene where the predator is just like wrecking up a subway car and killing everybody who's on it. And then there's this there's this one uh one of like like the cops in the movie uh, is a, a woman and we find out just in this scene, I think like the predator is scanning her and it's revealed that she's pregnant and the predator like just like walks on and leaves her there as the one person who's left alive. And it, huh. it's never explained. It's never gone into, but if you know a little bit about hunting, like that's a fairly common 
aspect of game laws is that like you're not supposed to shoot female deer because that messes up with the population dynamics and they want to be able to come back and shoot more of the male deer later on so like he realizes that she's pregnant and says like oh okay this one i'm throwing back uh so like that, that, that's kind of the if, if you wonder like why can the predator do x it's usually that do you think that 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 is basically the way that it works with uh, with this latest installment as well He's been granted a hunting license from the government of Lupo Four, his home world. There is actually a five-minute-long exposition sequence about how he gets his hunting license. Yeah, fishing game it no. really is is up his butt. No, it's Very interesting. Simply, no, 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 no. Because no. they they raise the question, and the things that are interesting in this in the movie are the ways in which the predator is different from a typical hunter. Uh, though I guess when they say typical hunter, you're seeing it from the perspective of the Comanche who don't have a recreational hunting culture where it's like, you know, so they, they don't hunt for trophies. They hunt for food. They, yeah, they, yeah, they hunt they use for every part of the buffalo. They have a uh, they have a ritual that is in the movie uh, wherein it's a coming of age ritual where you're supposed to hunt something that is hunting you. You're basically supposed to uh, ward off or kill some sort of uh, threat to the tribe, right? Um, and uh, and what is it called, Mark? Do you remember? I don't remember the name. Yeah, of it, but it's it's got some name, and cool. you know, obviously, um, you can look it up if you want to learn more. I suggest you know, the, there's lots more to learn from real books that aren't predator movies. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that the main character is a woman, and the Comanche culture is very patriarchal, and she's not supposed to be allowed to hunt. And she's not supposed to be allowed to go through this rite of passage ceremony, but she wants to anyway. And she goes along on the trip with the boys to do it anyway. And the, and it basically ends up being the predator that becomes her rite of passage. And the difference – and there's an insight that she sort of arrives at, right, which is that there's a, there's a triptych. There's like, why do you want to do it? Well, I want to do it because you say I can't do it, right? And then the second part of it is – well, why are you going to succeed at it? Right. And he's like, well, I'm going to, she's like, I'm going to succeed at it because I have to succeed at it. Right. And then, and then the third one is, uh, is, is this sort of final statement of like, you know, you, this is, it's sort of a, this far, no farther statement that's made like to the predator at the end of the sort of consummation of the ritual. Uh, whereas, um, which is like, you, 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 the threat to me and to my people, you can't come any farther. And the answer to the riddle, which is also given to her by a uh, a kind of I think either her mother or an aunt or some uh, some sort of elder woman of the tribe, is that the secret to this ritual and the secret to this this whole hunting culture is that the objective of hunting is not to, like, kill the biggest thing. The primary objective hunting of hunting is to come back alive, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like if you do not come back alive, then your hunting has failed. And this is like a, a of critical importance, right? And uh, and it's not something that is intuitive for the children who are thinking that they're going to go out there and they're going to kill a lion, right? Oh man, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kill this lion. And and the wisdom is, you know, if you make it back alive from confronting the lion, you've won. Right. And because because hunting is about survival, literally and figuratively. Right. Like we get the or I would say instrumentally yeah. and occasionally you, you hunt in order to get food and you you uh, you are at risk and you fail if you die, both from starvation and also from like 
you know, being eaten by a lion. Uh, and, and so that is an interesting juxtaposition to the predator who doesn't share this ethos, right? The predator doesn't go out hunting with his own survival as his priority, nor do the French trappers. The French trappers don't go out hunting with their survival as a priority right, either. Right, right. And, and I think that's the commentary on colonialism as predation, as an unnatural predation. When you see, and it's interesting because the natural predation is not what you would think of as morally upright either, but the Comanche don't have our um, modern contemporary bourgeois view of it, or you might even say our Nietzschean view of it, uh, or sort of pre, not Nietzschean, but what Nietzsche is criticizing view of it, right? Um, in that uh, if you see a wolf about to eat a rabbit, like who should you root for in that interaction, right? Um, and I get, and the answer is like, well, you know, the, you should root for the wolf and not really mess with the wolf because the wolf is trying to survive and he only needs to eat one rabbit. Right. And so like once the wolf has eaten the rabbit, then the wolf is not hungry anymore. And that's how the tribe survives. You go out there, you kill a deer and you eat the deer and you use the skins and all that other stuff. Like you don't go out and kill all the deer. You don't go out and kill all the buffalo. Right. Because they looked at you funny. You know, you you go out and you and so it is better for you to be the wolf than to be the rabbit. This is the woman ends up being the rabbit because she's like a, a young woman and is not experienced you know, or particularly well armed or occasion to do any of these things. And also because she's able to hide her capability through various tricks. Uh, much like Arthur Schwarzenegger in the first Predator movie, um, by making her thermal signature smaller, by using like traditional medicines that lower her body temperature, right? Like, um, which I don't know if that's real. It might kill you. I'm not sure. Don't take, you know, random medicine that isn't been reviewed by a doctor, even if a Comanche tells you it'll help you kill the Predator. But <laughs> don't, don't, don't eat random plants to try to camouflage yourself from heat vision. Yes, right. Yes. <laughs> the odds that that will. Uh, that your liver will be camouflaged from appropriate functioning are dangerously high. But no, but th and that's the point where the movie gets a little unrealistic. <laughs> but like, who cares? <laughs> right. Like That's not that's not that's not salient. But the idea being that, like, the fr the French are the top of the chain of predators. And the uh, the French even Mark, you want to explain the interaction, the the how the last Frenchie gets his comeuppance? Oh, yeah. Second to last. Is he a second to last Frenchie? The, the, the fat, nasty Frenchie who looks like Robert Baratheon. Um, that oh, yeah, that's that that's sequence. Um, so if I recall this correctly, no offense to real uh, Frenchy people or French, <laughs> French people, nothing but love for you. <laughs> um, uh, our main character, Naru, is, is her name, by the way. Yeah. Um, she manages to uh, knock out the last Frenchman. Um, and I believe she just she dismembers her leg, his, his leg. Right. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking um, of the guy before that. But no, go ahead. Go ahead. We're talking about the, the translator guy. I the one where where he he takes her hostage, right? Right. Yeah. That's. I think that's the one who. Oh, it's the same guy. Up. Okay. Go, gets, go yeah, ahead. Go come ahead. up yeah. at the end, right? So he yeah. he she gets taken hostage. Nobody has a name. By, by big nasty Frenchman. Yeah. yeah. Um, towards the end of the movie, she manages to knock him out, cuts his leg off so that he's being feasted on by rats. Um. And uh, as he as he comes to, um. And, uh, and and this is like a, such an interesting uh, turn of events here, right? How this is all laid out. Um, Naru uh, leaves his rifle there so that he picks it up and tries to shoot Naru. Right. Um, Even though but, he's been friendly uh, to her and has been sort of asking for her help, right? 
Um, is this the same one? No, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to shut up. I don't know yeah, which yeah, French this, character. This is different. Yeah, this is yeah, a different okay. one. Um, I hope I'm relating the one that, that you're thinking about. But anyway, this this is this is how this it happens goes, right? multiple different ways. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, he, he and and this is all a trick to get um this Frenchman to point uh, raise the firearm to alert the predator to get the predator to go after him, so that Naru can deliver a uh, a very punishing. Uh, combat blow while the predator is distracted. Is that what you're thinking about, Pete? Yeah, yeah. I was also thinking, yeah, where he's got the gun and they're at the campfire and he's like holding her for bait, right? And like that's not how the predator hunts. I think she even talks to her brother about it at one point, where it's like the predator isn't going to go after the bait, right? The predator. If we're tied up here, we're relatively safe because we're not a threat, and the predator only goes after threats because that's what he thinks is impressive. And in much the same way that, you know, the the French uh, colonial uh, hunters, I guess, furriers, it's not exactly clear what exactly they're doing, but I guess they're trappers. Uh, But they kill a whole bunch of buffalo. And well, why? I guess for their pelts, but also just because they can. And and that's not natural in in uh, in the uh, parlance of the movie. It's just not how prey and predation work in nature. It's much more about primate socialization i I mean because it's weird to say that humans aren't natural because of course humans are part of nature but if i were to locate this in nature i would say that what's really happening is like primate socialization by proxy wherein the primates are making like shows of dominance at each other by having the big gun killing the biggest buffalo you know i want to be the one to kill the lion even even the uh even the Comanche uh, heels are doing it, right? Like, I want to be the one to kill a lion. You don't get to kill the lion. You don't get to come with us, right? Like, this is all stupid from the standpoint of survival. Like, you know, she's the best tracker they have, and she's the only medic, right? So, like, the guys who are like, you're not allowed to come with us because you're a girl are being really stupid from the standpoint of survival, which should be their only priority when they're hunting. Uh, But they're not really hunting. They're performing. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're posturing. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, what uh, the punter, that's what the predator punishes is posturing. Yeah, a brief clarification, by the way, is that like the the male dominated com, com, domination in the Comanche culture is like not really emphasized a lot, right? They always kind of go out of their way so that it's actually not like you know you can't come with us because you're a girl. It's the, like you can't come with us for these other reasons. Right? You're just well, not yeah. ready. You're a healer. You're not a hunter. All the other kind of stuff. Oh and, yeah, like, I mean they, they really it's really just really rational, cool. right? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm so, saying it's not so, it's not as on the nose as Pixar's Brave, but it's like 50 percent of the way there. Right, yeah. <laughs> is it Pixar's Brave or is that a Disney movie? I forget. I mean, she is Disney princess. Disney's yeah, Brave. You're referring to uh, the redheaded Merida. Yes. From Pixar's Brave. Why do I know so much about this movie? What the heck? <laughs> You've probably seen it more than once. Uh, <laughs> Disney have you seen, have just, you seen like, Brave just, just 2 to... where Merida gets on the L.A. subway and fights Bill Paxton with a giant <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to I want to circle back to something that you said there, Pete, when you said uh, it's it's weird to think of humans as being unnatural because humans are part of nature. I don't know if that's really true. Like nature is a word that was made up by people, kind of to refer to the stuff that's not people. So that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's interesting. You could I think there's a couple different. You would want to pick a different word, right? Um, yeah. 
So I mean, and like certainly, certainly there have been various attempts to say like, oh no, well we're all part of nature. We should all think of ourselves as one with the environment, and maybe even cultures where that's kind of the thing. But the the way that the the modern English word nature developed over the course of the you know the past couple hundred years, it really is like you have human civilization and then you have nature which is the other part of it and the kind of hunting that the predator seems to be doing which i want to say is like it's what it is is teddy roosevelt hunting more than it is anything else yep uh like uh, that is about going out to find the biggest baddest meanest natural thing that you can and then proving that humans are better than that because we have guns and there's uh there's this sense that like it, it it's kind of like watching a bullfight also where the point is that you're going to see the human kill the bull and then like every now and then the bull kills the human and although of course that would be like you know deeply horrifying to actually watch i feel like anyone who kind of learns about bullfighting kind of thinks to themselves like yeah i kind of want to see the bull kill the human one time and like that's sort of what's happening in every predator movie right is that the predator is should wildly outclass the people but every now and then people are just dangerous enough that one of us might get it over on one of them right. so like that that's kind of the the model of encounter with the natural world that we're that we're seeing isn't it i think so what i would complicate that with is by suggesting that that notion of the natural world also grows up in a largely dualistic, you know, mind-body dualism notion wherein the human mind is seen as this rarefied special thing that either exists independently of the physical body, you know, or as even, even right, a thing in itself, some sort of, you know, fundamental and primary creator of moral value and discernment. Uh, and as time has gone on, there's been at least, you know, a fair amount of research to suggest that the human mind, while large and complex, is operating along the lines of a lot of the same sorts of behavioral impetuses that affect, you know, other animals. That humans are humans and the way humans think is less different from the way other animals think than we think it is. Uh, would yeah. be a more scientific late 20th, early 20th century view of humans, but that's also not consistent with the idea of like a human in confrontation with nature. Uh, while at the same time, there seems to be a certain intuitive understanding of that because we can always see, you know, beastly humans. And there's always been this notion of, well, not all humans, they're the savages that are closer to animals. We're the ones that are, you know, super civilized and super different. Uh, and a lot of this, you know, literature like prey is trying to well, not just problematize, but just dumpster that idea, right? The idea that the idea that the French in this movie, because they have guns and are going out to kill the buffalo, are separate from and confronting nature from the outside, um, is I think is is I think positioned in the movie as folly. Uh, though maybe I'm also bringing my own perspective to that sufficiently. Um, I don't know, Mark. You saw the movie too. Do you know what I, you're gathering? What I'm talking about? Okay. You're okay. The, let me just make sure I understand the idea that you're, you're that you're trying to test here, right? Okay, so the French are, are are seen as being like kind of like fundamentally against nature. Is that kind of ultimately like? Well, um, like the French, the French are Western, and and they're yep. they have guns, yep. and they dehumanize the natives, and they think of themselves as separate from and superior to nature. But yep. this is a hubristic idea that does not reflect their their sort of true you know relationship with the uh the living world which is revealed to them to their horror by the predator or uh pete pete yeah. if 
Pete, if I may, yeah. the predator comes in and says, you think it's one prey, but it's the other prey. <laughs> <laughs> you want it to be one prey. You want it to be one prey. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I got the quote wrong. I was, it was so good. It was so perfect. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. So, yeah. So, I mean, or or they have separated themselves from nature. And this is a sin of theirs. This is a sort of tragic flaw that justifies their death in this horror survival movie. Oh, I interpret more the latter. Okay. Um, that, uh, that that is their sin, right? You know, they have, you know, committed these atrocities. Like in particular, the buffalo sequence is very important in this, right? Because, um, you know, earlier in the movie, Naru, the protagonist, comes across a field of buffalo corpses, and he, as the audience, we are meant to interpret like, "Wow, holy crap!" Right? The predator came here and just wasted all these buffalo. Um, Maybe if you're paying very, very close attention, you realize it's not actually what's going on. Um, but later on, it is revealed that no, it was actually the French who killed all those buffalo, um, and, um, and and therefore, right, like the predator actually kind of did not commit this sin, but the French did. Like it makes the, the French in this in a way like even worse <laughs> than the predator <laughs> because they're not really like following um, some sense of quote unquote rules or of uh, or fairness, which really feels like the wrong word. Um, when uh, you're an alien and you have cloaking ability, but then that goes back to the kind of the 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 norms of of, of hunting that Jordan was talking about that, that seems to apply to this. Yeah, though so, at the uh, same time, okay. responsible animal husbandry, right? Like shooting <laughs> shooting one buffalo yeah. and taking its skin might be might be excusable, but shooting all of them is just like pointless. And this is also one of the other nice things that this does for the predator is it puts the predator in perverse sympathetic situations when the predator is killing somebody that you don't like, uh, which is, I think, also a characteristic of good predator movies, all predator movies. I'm not sure. Does that happen? That happens in Predator 2, right, Jordan? That the predator is like going to kill somebody and you think they're kind of a jerk. And so you're glad that the predator is going to kill them. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like the, the Predator Two, like drops them down in the middle of a very violent gang war, and the the Predator kind of goes out and hunts the members of the gangs, and then hunts the cops who are sort of positioned as the biggest and most dangerous gang in some ways. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, or not, depending upon what you like in your movies, a lot of the um, the gang members are charismatic enough, even in their sort of wickedness, that you're still kind of bummed to see them get killed. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, like you say, the thing that the Predator tries to hunt are dangerous animals, which yeah. again, is, it feels like a very Teddy Roosevelt kind of thing. Yeah, which is different from necessarily Predators. The Predator doesn't just hunt other Predators. The, the most interesting, I think, and confounding sequence in the movie for the whole moral syllogism of what the, what is being accomplished is probably the bear fight, <laughs> which is not true of a lot of movies. Like the most morally complex scene in this movie is the bear fight because because uh, the predator has a progression he goes through. Right. <laughs> Where for <laughs> Not most movies. You got Grizzly Man. You got this. That's kind of all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you got the bear. First, the predator kills a rattlesnake, which is boss. Right. So the, I think he goes rattlesnake and then he goes like wolf. Right. And then he goes, does he kill the lion? No, the, the natives kill the lion and the French right. kill the buffalo. Um, and if, and the, is there somebody he tries to kill after the wolf, but before the bear or he goes right so. to bear for, for the for the yeah, for the purpose of the discussion. Yeah, it's rattlesnake wolf to bear. Right. And, and at the, while this is happening, the natives are trying the Comanche are trying to kill a lion. 
And with, so there's a sort of narrative ascent in the story, but the predator isn't really involved in the lion hunt, although uh, Naru keeps thinking that she hears him or thinks that he's around. But, you know, there's a there's a bear. Right. <laughs> and why is the bear even upset? The bear just gets upset. Is somebody's around the bear or like I forget what t- ticks the bear off. But the bear gets ticked off. Does she? Does the bear like detect them, or they try to shoot him or something? Um, and sure enough, the predator's like, "Man, that animal's dangerous." And so, what follows is a three-way scramble where Naru is trying to avoid getting killed by the bear, right? And the predator is trying to kill the bear, right. and the predator is just kind of indifferent to the presence of Naru. And you're really rooting for the predator to kill the bear. And the point where the, the predator gives the bear the old like sore you can, right? It's like it's like it's a Angelina Jolie and Tomb Raider, the cradle of life, like I'm punching a shark in the face kind of moment. Uh and, and to to save Naru from being eaten by the bear, like it, it lionizes the predator. It almost feels like labyrinth, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, I have the men in my life who don't treat me with respect. But this sort of Superman guy, he understands me, right? Like, and uh, and he'll listen to me. He sort of he 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 gives credulity to what I say, right? The fact that he's out there uh, and and that he's killing my enemies, right? But that's not stated in the movie. But it's kind of a vibe, <laughs> like like she's oh, being yeah, protected yeah. by the predator at the same time as she's trying to figure out how to kill the predator. Uh, and, and of course the predator, you know, we don't get his side uh, or her side of the story because of, you know, the lack of, of mandible interpretation. <laughs> like he's, he just goes, <laughs> <"Rah!"> <laughs> so, I, mean, uh, I mean, Hey, you know, Cherith, the goblin King was granted a baby hunting license by the Fey Lords of Blupo <laughs> four. It's, it's confusing, but it's a yeah. legal system. <laughs> yep. 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 That's why Noggle has to wear that ugly orange vest the whole time. Right. Is that he doesn't want to get capped by david bowie's walking through the woods but <laughs> can i circle back on something when, of course when the predator kills the rattlesnake is that like presented with the rattlesnake being a threat to the predator somehow or is it just like the snake is going along minding its own and then suddenly like three little laser dots <laughs> appear on it <laughs> oh, no. it's blown up from across <laughs> exactly. that would have been pretty funny but it's more the former than the it's line, actually right? beautiful it's like the predator is cloaked and various animals are scurrying around on the ground. And I think it's a mouse or a rat or something. And you see the one animal kind of going and you see that he's walking past the shimmer that those of us who know the predator know is the predator. Right. And then the snake rears up and bears its fangs to attack the rodent. And then the predator spears the snake in the head before it strikes. And so you don't get the sense that the snake was necessarily striking the predator, but when the snake revealed itself to be a threat, the predator killed it. Wow. And because it was in, you know, en flagrante of like snake biting, right? Like it still seems pretty awesome uh, and seems justified. It seems like a justifiable huh. snake aside. Uh, he does later so, so skin is, the snake. Yeah. And, and this is like a, then a, a real running theme in the movie that you find a place where uh, one animal is trying to kill another animal, snake, mouse, bear, Naru, right? And then the predator comes in and attacks whichever is the most dangerous animal. Yes, this is like literally like 90% or 95% of the employment of predator vision is like thermal scans of which animal is more dangerous. Uh, and, and it comes in and, it, and it's like, oh, the French animal is more dangerous than the Comanche animal because the French animal has a gun. I'm killing the French animal, right? Like, uh, <laughs> That's basically kind of like see- that. 
it's been a long time since I've seen the first Predator movie, but like, is that um, uh, some justification for the ridiculous firefight, <laughs> the first part of that movie? It's like, well, this band of, of commandos just wasted like a hundred of these um, random goons, um, and the Predator sees that. It's like, okay, I'm going to go after these guys. Is that what happened in the first movie? I don't think that they, that they explain it as much. Maybe. Maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe it's indirectly applied then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like these are, these are the biggest battles. It seems very on the nose in this movie. Like It seems like yeah. they set it up as a sequence of things that happen. I almost wonder if this is one of those things where in the first Predator movie they did that because they wanted to do a bunch of gunfight stuff. And then, you know, many, many years later, people who had watched Predator 1 a hundred times were like, okay, <laughs> what is the moral lesson of that gunfight? And, and then, like, that's what it distills to. Quite possibly, quite possibly. Yeah, it, it just, just as a reminder, the first Predator movie, that's, that gunfight sequence is also... Uh, an excuse for Arnold to give one line. One liners is he wastes people away, right? Stick around, I believe, yeah. <laughs> right? As he just like knives. <laughs> and, and also, if you're if you're the if you're the kind of person who only literally has only watched Marvel movies, the Predator Marvel movie is Iron Man three, because uh, that is that is Shane Black. <laughs> so with Guy Pierce getting all flamed out and turning into a huge horrible radioactive 1980s and then getting capped by the iron man suits it's a similar sort of vibe like who's the most dangerous of the situation mm, yeah, that's um, point. yeah it's like uh and and iron man kind of lowering himself to go talk to the children and the space of the children being the safe place and all that stuff but yeah i bet you that i hope that there were i know that there was an expert in comanche culture who provided binders of research on authentic comanche customs and dress and uh and and culture and language uh, i hope there was a similarly equipped predator expert who had read all the comic books <laughs> and 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 perused the uh more than perused delved into the reams and reams and reams of imaginary <laughs> lore <laughs> for, for this very very specific monster right like who would by the way not real right like not real <laughs> <laughs> but so specific that that's what it keeps getting me about the predator like the three little dots of the reticule or whatever is it six little dots because it's like three pairs uh, of the of the targeting uh, uh laser targeting for the predator it's no, like i think it's supposed to read as a triangle right because you see okay, that triangle yeah. very prominently displayed in the in the heads-up display as it you yeah. know identifies weapons as threats yeah and i love i mean i love that they care that much about you know the things that are predator about predator to distinguish it from other stealth interstellar hunter killer monster things um, but yes, yeah, so so should we talk a little bit more about some of the more sophisticated parts of this movie? Uh, I guess uh, I want to talk about the dog. Oh, I mean, yeah, which is one do. of the more sophisticated things about the movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> you guys have been holding out on me. There's a dog in this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dog that barks at evil. <laughs> and absolutely saves the day, right? Yes. Like just, he's the best this, character in any movie this, he's this, in. And this, this is this is a notable spoiler, um, but I'll just like throw it out there, um, and it's because it's uh, very key to understanding the movie is that um, in the in the final fight, um, this is not the death blow, but um, leading up to it, um, the dog, uh, you see the dog uh, running in the, from the corner of the frame with Naru's axe in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, oh I, I can't remember, if, like, like, dramatically tosses it to Naru, but Naru yeah, catches it. It's just a dive then, through the predator's then, legs and hamstring him, right? <laughs> yeah, is, it's, uh, it's, it's glorious, is what yeah. it is. It is like borderline Airbud level, um, uh, 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 airborne Airbud <laughs> level 
of dog heroics. Yeah. Um, but I it mean, is, it where is, is it written in the rules that a dog can't axe predators? I think that Naru and her dog, like, could do the same choreography as, like, Falcon and Black Widow in the train fight in Infinity War. I think it's, like, shot for shot the same move. <laughs> where she, like, throws at the thing and he dives through, dives through the legs. She spins around. Maybe it was Captain America. But, yes, it's a very al- elaborate... It's, it takes a lot of buttons to press to get that particular Mortal Kombat move to come out, right? Where the dog throws you a, a tomahawk. <laughs> I'm also imagining this with my dog, where the dog runs up with the axe and then stops, like, just out of arm's reach and just, like, <laughs> you know, doing that, like, bowing thing that dogs do where they get real low so they can jump away if you try to actually take the axe. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, so uh, that that is you know um, the, the culmination of the man dog relationship, or sorry, the, the woman dog relationship in in this movie. But like the, the thematic thing that's going on with the dog is clearly that um, you know the predator hunts alone, uh, but Naru uh, has a team, right? Um, uh, Pete, is it is it fair to say like, or is that too reductive? Well, that's not what her advantage is, but it's like it is the power friendship, yes. Like the the predator does not benefit from the power of friendship, it, and Naru still does, even when her whole all of her friends are dead except for her dog. Right? Like, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely this little like, by the way, also friendship kind of thing. Because uh, what she she mostly well, benefits from, yeah, good. It also models a different way of relating with animals, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. and a different way for animals to relate to us. Like you said that there's a, a wolf that gets killed earlier on, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, like, wolves are the nature dogs, whereas dogs are the human wolves. So this would be, you know, the predator ends up getting got. It could have perhaps domesticated one of the humans. You know, that might have worked out better for it. But that's, uh, true. that's, that's not, that's not pre- in predator the sport Redfield. hunting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know it would be Gary Busey. <laughs> oh, also, like, be Gary Busey. <laughs> 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 Refresh my memory, Pete, but I think there's a scene uh, in that... Uh, axe carrying sequence that I just described. Yes. Where the, the predator vision, you see the predator vision, we see the dog coming in infrared, right? Right. But we do not see the triangle reticule, even though the dog is carrying the axe in her mouth. Am I remembering that correctly? Well, at that point, has the predator's mask been taken off? Uh, I, I can't remember. No. Because the predator loses his mask at one point, which yeah, is. Yeah, but can like... still see, but can still see in, in, in Terminator vision. Right, which is, I thought the mask was the thing to let him do that, but apparently it's not. I think that's just for the targeting. Oh, fair enough. I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> None of this matters. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Pete, there, there are reams and reams of lore. There are binders. <laughs> binders full of predators. I have binders <laughs> full of predators. There I is, tied a predator to the roof of my car for a 12-hour <laughs> drive when I brought my daughter to college. Uh, <laughs> I could tell because the ropes were just hanging there. Uh, and I hear click, 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 click. Uh, <laughs> um, can I, can I, speaking of, speaking of lore, can we go into a little bit of, well, of history, just a little bit of sort of interesting occasional history in this movie? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in trying, the movie has an interesting kind of found feel with regards to how it locates the plot in the history of the Comanche people, which I want to comment on because it occurred to me when I was watching the movie, and I know it's not on purpose, uh, because at least the things that I've read say that it's not on purpose. And what I'm saying is that the Comanche went through a transformation in the late 1600s, early 1700s, where they 
became a horse people. Right. They got horses that had been, you know, horses are not native to North America. There were horses that had been brought to the area by the Spanish. I think the running theory is that the Puebla had uh, rebelled against the Spanish and there were some horses that the Puebla had that they traded or gave to the Comanche. And the Comanche went from being a much more kind of walking around slowly kind of hunter gatherer people to the Great Plains, you know, horse warriors that we think of from movies and also from, you know, history. And it's notable in this movie that for most of the movie, they aren't on horseback at all. Like the the, the village is not a mobile place. Uh, they go out hunting. They're in the woods, which is not where I think of encountering Comanche in movies, at least. Right. Because Comanche are major characters, usually villains in racist Westerns. Uh, some of them being touchstone films that are kind of important watches, uh, but uh, well, important if you care about the history of Westerns and whatnot, but uh, are still, of course, more than problematic in their depiction of the Comanche. But uh, but at any rate, um, in this movie that ends with the people being relocated and there's a moment about two thirds or three quarters of the way through the movie where the brother gets a horse from the French and kind of rides the horse around in a circle around the predator and and shows off that he is so good at riding a horse that the predator can't shoot him, even though, of course, he could shoot like a grizzly bear at full tilt, you know, uh, and all that stuff. But whatever, it's fine. Um, and so apparently there were no horses in the fur in the script when they started production. And the producer, who was also in charge of authenticity of the Comanche culture, like insisted that they add horses to the movie because the horses are so central to Comanche culture, not just in the movies, but as it is understood and appreciated by the Comanche now. I mean, you know, 1600s, 1700s, not was a long time ago. It's not that long ago in the super grand scheme of things, but still a long time ago, hundreds of years, right? That they, that they had horses as a key part of the identity and the, and the survival and the, and the general practice of their people. So it is interesting to see the movie as a horse origin story, sort of, where there's this sort of initial relationship that is forged with the horse in battle with the predator that transforms the tribe ultimately because it has to relocate and change how it operates. Now, they don't go riding away on horseback, which would have really kind of driven this home, but it's more like um, – that part of the trickiness of depicting colonial stories, right, is that that the movement of people and organisms around the world, you know, predators notwithstanding, or predators included, changes peoples. It changes people. It changes the way people live. You know, like their chili peppers aren't native to Thailand, right? Um, but it's very central to cuisine there, right? So it's sort of like it's a different sort of way in which people moving around in that time really changed people. And it felt to me like a cool little moment, even though I think it's an accident because there's this idea of like, I've been through this fight. I know who the enemy is. We have to be different. Like this is not a, a sort of forest primeval, you know, pre fall of Eden uh, notion of who the Native Americans are, which, of course, is very common in European thinking and very common in movies in sympathetic depictions of, of Native Americans that they live in a sort of sinless place where everybody is super nice to each other and they paint with all the colors of the wind and all that stuff. Right. Um, and, and they're not human beings. Uh, they're 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 cartoons uh, voiced by Vanessa Williams, maybe. I don't know. Only for the pop single. But you know what I'm talking about. Right. Like these are not magical people. 
These are people who go through a harrowing experience and are changed by it on a historical level. Um, and I'm just sort of pointing it out there that this is something they could have doubled down on more, kind of a kind of a happy accident, um, uh, because I didn't know before researching it that 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 was just a goof because the people who wrote the movie didn't realize that the Comanche should be riding horses, which I would facepalm, but you pick it up on my on my uh, on my microphone, it wouldn't sound good. So wait, so you're saying that like it was the it was one of the kind of like culture consultants who told them like, look, you need to get horses into this somehow. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think that actually, I think calling that a happy accident or a goof is um, it, the the nice thing about that is that they were willing to do it, right? Rather oh yeah, than, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And like probably at fairly significant expense because getting in a getting in a horse, you need to like get get the horse handler and do all the safety stuff for that. And anyway, um, yeah, it's because they put the cool. horse in the cl- near the climax of the movie. I guess is what I'm saying. But yeah, totally. You're totally right that it's a it's a feature, not a bug, right? It's it's totally it's a good thing that they were willing to do it because a lot of times you're like, ah, no one will care. Mm, chomp on my cigar, you know, whatever. Yeah, like uh, we, we already hired the culture consultant. You want us now to like actually take their advice? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. in, in a perfect world they wouldn't make the mistake initially, but the fact that they were willing to to like to try to fix it, I think, is. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to say like that's a sign that things are changing for the better, but I do well, want to say like it's a good thing that that happened. I think the salient fact here that's really important is that the culture consultant was a producer on the movie. And uh, I think that that's yeah, a yeah. big difference. Right. And I think that's something that people are talk talk about sometimes without really talking about it, which is like they had some juice. Right. <laughs> like they were important. Right. And I think part of what makes this movie special is that the people who were dedicated to telling the Comanche story had some power in the production uh, and could it just yeah. be ignored um which is which is pretty great i think in terms of what it does for yeah. the movie um, no that's that's fantastic yeah so that, that was a good history moment can i ask a, a second historical question is it about the predator uh, oh yeah this is about the history of the predator franchise okay great sure, of course. <laughs> so this is set in the 18th century right Yes. Yeah, the early 1700s. Um, so yeah. there's a one of the the great moments from Predator 2, which I would say like Predator 2 is a like so-so movie with nine or ten just fantastic moments in it. And one of them is like right at the end, after Danny Glover kills what up to this point we think of as like the only predator, suddenly like 20 other predators come out of the woodwork and kind of uh eye him down, and he's just like, okay. And then they pick up the body of the predator that he defeated and like sort of like all get onto their spaceship to fly away because this wasn't this was never about like, could we kill you? This was about this one predator going and hunting and they were like evaluating that or something like that. Um, But anyway, the last thing that happens is sort of the boss of these predators, these other predators, like turns and kind of like nods at him and then pulls off of his belt a an 18th century like flintlock pistol and i say 18th century because you see a little plaque that dates it it's, it's like it's an 18 it is the 18th century and tosses this to danny glover and then they get on the ship and run away uh, or not run away they, they fly away and i'm, I'm kind of curious like is is this supposed to be the origin of that pistol do you think very specifically yes like like huh. it is very specifically the same gun uh i, I will give you a sense for what happens to this gun uh, this is a gun. I mean, Mark, do you agree? I mean, I haven't seen Predator 2, but uh, it's got to be that. Yeah. Right. Because, because they're, the, like, the, the, yeah. they take a moment to like zoom in on a plaque on the gun with a name and a date. 
Yes. So there is. It would be buck wild if it was a different plaque. <laughs> Just different. So, so to give you the sense for the gun. So the gun is very, is set up in a very detailed way over the course of the movie. The first way the gun is set up is there's a scene where Naru and I think her brother are talking about hunting. And Naru is going to shoot an eagle with a, with an arrow and hesitates. And her brother shoots the eagle right away. And the eagle fall ends up falling on the far side of the river. And he sort of chastises her for not firing fast enough. And she chastises him for not waiting for the eagle to circle back. Because if the eagle had landed on their side of the water, then he wouldn't have to worry about getting his bowstring wet by crossing the river. Right. To get the uh, to get the 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 bird to get the bird to bring it back. Now, this is important because later she comes into the possession of a French flintlock pistol that has been loaded with one shot by a dude who has been predatored like the last dude right before he gets predatored. Uh, he loads this flintlock pistol with one shot and she has to carry this thing like through her flight from the predator into her setting up of the elaborate ambush for the predator without like spoiling the load in it. Right. So so it's been packed with powder and a gun and, and a bullet and cloth or a ball and cloth. And she knows that she has to push the you know hit the hit the hammer and it's going to ignite and that's going to fire the pistol. She only gets one shot, one opportunity. Mom's spaghetti, whole, the whole shebang, right? <laughs> she's not going to throw away her shot. She's not going to throw away her shot because she just, because imagine how different Hamilton would be if Hamilton walked up behind Aaron Burr and then just like point blank shot him in the back of the head. Right? Like that'd be a very different uh, musical. But imagine how different <laughs> Hamilton would be if he were hunted by yeah. a predator. But, but this is the setup where she uses, the, yeah, exactly, where she uses the French guy. This is what we talked about earlier. I think this is when it happens, right, Mark? She, she uses the French guy picking up the gun as bait to draw out the predator and then once the predator reveals himself she steps up behind him having taken the traditional medicine that lowers her body temperature so the predator can't see her and then just like full-on levels the the pistol right in the back of his head and blows his face off yep right yeah, with, with that um, pistol it doesn't kill him but nope. it knocks the mask off of his face right um I'm not sure what the trajectory of the of the ball is that does this. And then she's then able to use the mask to confuse his targeting systems so that he ends up killing himself. Right. But but it's like it is like a very important shot that is carried around for a long time in this movie. Uh, and and so, yes, that is the gun. So the, the what the lore is creating here is that whenever a predator gets killed by prey, then there and, and also the other thing I should say in the credits, there's no after credits, but during the credits, there's a series of illustrations in traditional ish Native American ish art of like the coming of the predator and the fight with the predator and events from the movie. And then there were events that aren't in the movie that are portrayed in the art. And one of the events is the arrival of multiple like three predator spaceships. And so I believe that this is supposed to be the moment from Predator 2 when all of the Predators show up. So this is basically the Fishing Game Commission, right? Or like all this guy's buddies. But it's pretty much the Predator Fishing Game Commission who are like, okay, a Predator got killed by prey. That's the rule now. Nobody else can hunt that prey. And that prey gets like recognized, right? That prey gets put on a list and, and nobody else can come after it. And apparently there's this, you know, one group of Predators that holds onto this one gun and gives it to the prey that killed the predator. I guess there hasn't been a human who killed the predator is implied since, uh, well, I guess what, I guess they didn't come to help the one that Arnold killed. 
but he blew up. I don't know. But but yeah, so, it, it so falls apart pretty like, fast. This is this is a beautiful and kind of moving and evocative and cool story and makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> <laughs> because that gun was not in the hands of, you know, Naru. It was in the hands of the Predators. <laughs> and like, Naru the way the gun back. <laughs> the way that it makes sense, like the sense that it makes in Predator 2, where again, like very little is explained and you, you like the, the, the Part of the joy of that movie is like sitting and thinking like, oh, that must be what's going on with the Predators, is that that gun was not someone who successfully killed a Predator. That was the last human that this batch of Predators happened to kill. Like, they just go around the galaxy, planet to planet, killing dangerous animals and taking trophies. And because Danny Glover actually killed a predator this time, they're like, you're all right here. And they toss in this hundred year old gun. Even that doesn't really make sense because this isn't the most recent time that a predator has been on earth. Predator one. Right. But like that, that's sort of the sense that it makes. So having that gun, man, like having watched predator two and sort of knowing in my heart what that gun means, even though they never explain what it means. So it could be that I just like, I read something into it that wasn't supposed to be there. Having her carry that gun would have convinced me like, like absolutely sincerely, she's not going to make it because (laughs) the predator has to fly away with that gun at the end. And when like, I would have, I would have been like sitting there in the opening, in the closing credits, waiting like, okay, when's the after credit scene when another predator comes and just absolutely ganks her because there's no way that she walks off with that gun. That cannot happen. That's the one thing about this gun that we know is that she don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why this, maybe this one predator who has the gun is like seen as very strange by the other predators. Does he think he also has like a turtle shell that he holds that he's going to give to a turtle at some point that ate a predator or something like a giant space turtle? I don't know. Um. (laughs) It also sort of like gives you I said that basically the thing with predators is that they're people hunting and you do sort of wonder about the hunter who's like, you know, my my friend Ricky got uh, bought got gored by a stag. So I'm going to take all the antlers off my wall, just like like throw them out in the woods. (laughs) You earned it. Yeah. So I think, yes, you, you're right on, I think, what we are supposed to take from it. And I think what we do take from it. But it is also amusing to speculate on, like, you know, the 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 the, the, the what am I looking for here? The sort of no fun zone for Predator is like not a particularly oppressive place right? where yeah. it's like everything has to make sense or no one gets to have any fun. And it's like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> but but still, like, there's not a lot in those movies that I take away and be like, okay, like this is this is a thing that I know. But this one detail, it would be as if you had made a movie about an airship, right? Where the airship is called the Hindenburg, and then at the end, the airship lands and everything is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Only through the efforts of one brave young woman who wasn't willing to to. Uh, except that hydrogen was the right substance to fill this thing with. (laughs) One one brave young woman, one dog, one horse. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) The man man rides a horse, but yes, exactly. Uh, I guess one dude, but the dude doesn't make it. Does the horse make it? I don't remember. Uh, The predator doesn't kill the horse. I don't think. He at least doesn't punch it the same way he punches the bear. That really stuck with me, that bear punch. It really did. Uh, (laughs) Big uh, Philadelphia sports fan energy there. 
Yeah. I'm Jordan. It's a shame you didn't watch this movie uh, for one particular reason, because you're a musicologist. Right. And the music in this movie is really interesting. Uh, and Mark and I, I, I'm I'm pleased to find that Mark and I had similar responses to the music in this movie, which is that it sounds like the music from one of my favorite movies, which is The Last of the Mohicans. Right. Um, and uh, and I love that movie. A big historical epic from the 90s with Daniel Day Lewis as the old uh, James Fenimore Cooper hero Hawkeye. Uh, and it's another movie. It's about the Mohawk and the Huron and. Uh, it makes a bit of an effort to be a little bit more faithful, but at the same time, obviously, this is a particular sort of literature, so the standards for it have to be a little different. It was a long time ago. But but one of the things that's notable about that movie is it has a very uh, impressive score. Uh, at least I think it's impressive. It's so impressive that they play it at the beginning of Spartan Beasts, or at least they did when I last was <laughs> running them. That whenever you were doing like a big Spartan race, they would play the uh, the promontory uh, track from The Last of the Mohicans without accreditation, right? Uh, is that uh, Patrick Doyle, right? Uh, is that who it is? I, I should look up exactly who the uh, – because it's weird because it's, it's a theme based off of the work of a Scottish prog rock folk rock guy i don't know doug mclean so like doug mclean who's a scottish singer songwriter produced a uh a a a theme um called the gale and presumably he's scottish and he's talking about scotland that was then used by i think an american uh folk or it's it's an irish band uh to be the background music for this Native American movie, right? So like, but of course the connection there is Appalachia. The connection with The Last of the Mohicans and Scotland is Appalachia and the sort of passing of the eras and the largely kind of Scotch-Irish white population of Appalachia giving the area a certain sort of musical history that is, you know, used in in movies, even when it's not appropriate uh, to the specific people that are on screen. And oh, it, it's uh, Trevor Jones. Sorry, is the composer yeah, yeah. for it? Uh, is, is, is Trevor Jones? Composer, is Trevor Jones a person you're familiar with? Is that somebody that means something to you? Um, I mean, I, I know of him as the guy who did The Last of the Mohicans and uh, I think a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, but I mean, not not a uh, not someone that I like. Not one of my guys that I follow closely. Okay, fair Th- enough. That is kind of funny that um, the music for The Last of the Mohicans, which, as you say, is like is very Scottish sounding, then becomes a signifier for Native Americans um, and shows up in other movies about different groups of Native Americans who don't yeah. even share any musical cultural traditions with the Mohawk in particular. Um, but this is this is a conversation we really don't have time for at this point. Oh, that's true. I guess I mean, it's not that similar. It's not super dead on. But if you listen to some of the tracks on I will talk about it on the discord more. It, I'll post the tracks to the discord. You can listen to the tracks next to each other. There are some chord progressions that feel similar. There's definitely some instrumentation that has been tweaked. Uh, that feels similar, but has been in certain cases, I think, made more authentic to the setting of the new movie. Uh, there's just it's just one of the things that's happening in this movie is a meta cinematic language of Native Americans that is being in. I won't say interrogated. I won't say dumpstered, but but that is it is uh, being it is being reframed at the very least. Right. That this yeah. movie oh. is not avoiding it. Um, let, let me say this, right? There was a musical language for Native Americans in the days of classic racist John Wayne movies, right? That's um, true. 
Right. And like they they did chuck that in the trash because they had to. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, like we can we can go back and watch like and there's, yeah, there's the good tomahawk, reasons to the tomahawk chop uh, sounding yeah. sort of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Like we can go back and watch Stagecoach and there are good reasons to, but we cannot continue to score movies the way that Stagecoach is scored. So then then you have stuff like Last of the Mohicans, like Dances with Wolves, where like a different imaginary and it's interesting that this movie, which, uh, as you say, it seems to be trying to do something significantly differently with its representation of Comanche culture, is like, it's still okay with that musical imaginary, right? Um, we, we haven't felt the need to jettison that and go for something that is, I mean, I don't know how it would be different, something more more actually authentic, quote-unquote, or just something more of the times. So that's really interesting that that connection is still there. Yeah, uh, that, That's the only, the only thing that I can say without having seen the movie, I guess. I think this is a, a – if you want to write a master's thesis on, on the movie Prey, uh, I would suggest <laughs> looking at the music and then also at the Predator uh, no, no. I, that, obviously, the master's thesis you write about prey is about the representation of Native Americans in the movie because that's the big headline thing. Uh, yeah, write it about uh, write it as, a, as an engineering thesis about targeting reticules using infrared <laughs> scanners. Why do they use a laser targeting right. system if they're using infrared vision? <laughs> they can't see this. Write, write it for your master's in policy administration about appropriate hunting and gaming licenses. Shouldn't the reticule be the frequency that they can see? <laughs> Rather than visible light. <laughs> either way, die. either way, send it to us, and we will publish it on Overthinking. <laughs> yes, we'll peer review your work because you are peerless, and, <laughs> and we're the only ones who appreciate you. So send us your predator thesis, please. All right, I, Mark, any final thoughts? Did we miss anything? Um, I think we missed a lot of stuff. I think there's a lot more we could have talked about about. Yeah, Prey. there's other callbacks to uh, to Predator movies, of course. In case you haven't seen this, right? If it bleeds, uh, we can kill it. Being the most oh, notable yeah. one, um, lots of things like that. Like it's really impressive how they just like checked off so many boxes in this movie, um, right? Like, there's the fan service um, there. There's, there's always like the, the callbacks, um, and yet it really stands on its own um, as this like really unique and again like uh, well crafted action movie. Yeah. So, I don't yeah, I had this whole thing planned about how, like, when you there's a famous experiment when you have a bunch of organic molecules and you pass current through them, they start to form amino acids. And it was sort of like if you get a bunch of people and you pass a predator through them, eventually one of them says, "If it bleeds, you can kill it." And then they start doing all the same <laughs> same stuff. It's like an emergent property of predator is is that like humans that interact with predator start acting like Arnold Schwarzenegger one way or the other. Uh, but I think <laughs> I think on that note. We are spent for now, and we will have to withdraw and heal our wounds uh, before the next Predator movie comes out, which will almost certainly be worse. Uh, but until then, please join us on the Discord, comment on the website. Uh, if you need an invite to the Discord, uh, you can, I think you can get it on the website. You can post it in the comments on the podcast. Hope you're listening to this on your podcatcher. Hope you're listening to this while you're out enjoying some some nice weather. Hope it's not too hot. And uh, until then, until later, until we see you again or you hear us again, uh, you can always find us at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably, probably does doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve.
definitely my favorite callback is when one of the French trappers says, it will make you like a Tyrannosaurus sexual. <laughs> <laughs> Still waiting, and we're now recording. Let everyone know they're being recorded. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Peter. You are being recorded. Great. Not telling me is a felony in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I consent to uh, the production of this podcast. <laughs> oh, it's just a notice. It's not consent. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <Yeah. not a laughs> okay. Shall we do this? Yeah. All right.